The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Brian Sullivan, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show airs live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your top five at five. Wall Street back on record watch ahead of the long holiday weekend. The all-important jobs report out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time today. Indecision at OPEC as the cartel fails to agree on new policy measures. Oil continues to trade near two-and-a-half-year highs. Surging growth at Robinhood as one of the most talked about and controversial companies of the year lays the groundwork for its own IPO. From Plaid to panic, trouble for one of Tesla's newest and fastest Model S Plaid sedans. And a billionaire space race heating up a fever pitch as Richard Branson ups the ante to Blue Origin's Jeff Bezos. It is Friday, July 2nd, 2021, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. Good morning. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan at this hour, kicking off your Friday morning with a look at stock futures. We are being led higher by the Nasdaq, which is up uh, fractionally, we should say, up just about 11 points. The Dow currently lower and the S&P 500 higher by a half a point. Ahead of a long holiday weekend, the S&P 500 is coming off a record all-time high. We're talking six positive sessions in a row. The Nasdaq 100 trying to cap off a seven-week winning streak as the rebound in technology continues. The Dow, it's about 1% away from an all-time high. The big economic headline today will, of course, be the June jobs report. Numbers out at 8.30 a.m. Eastern time. Economists looking for employers to have added 706,000 jobs in the past month, and for the unemployment rate to have ticked down two-tenths of 1% to 5.6%. Let's, let's get to some of the morning's top corporate stories. Bertha Coombs is here. Good morning, Bertha. Hey, good morning, Seema. Johnson & Johnson says its single-shot COVID-19 vaccine shows promising signs in a small laboratory study of protecting against the Delta variant. In, testimony, in testing, the company says the shot triggered a strong immune response in blood samples taken from eight people. How well the J&J shot fares against the Delta variant in the real world has been closely watched by health authorities around the world. Shares right now flat up about six-tenths of a percent. U.S. Commerce Secretary Gina Raimondo says the U.S. will continue business as usual despite new fiery comments from Chinese President Xi Jinping. In comments to CNBC, Raimondo says, we'll do everything we can to make sure that our U.S. companies are treated fairly and are able to access to have access to the Chinese market, adding that the U.S. will make sure, quote, the Chinese play by the rules and protect IP. 
And Chinese billionaires Jack Ma and Joe Tsai are reportedly pledging huge chunks of their combined $35 billion stake in Alibaba in exchange for, quote, significant loans from investment banks. According to documents reviewed by the Financial Times, the two men made their pledges to UBS, Credit Suisse, Goldman Sachs and others in an effort to unlock large swaths of cash tied up in the shares. In share pledging, banks accept stock as collateral for loans, but the borrower retains ownership of the shares, something limited by most U.S. companies. That's a very interesting case there, Seema. I guess they're just looking for some liquidity. Yeah, very interesting. Of course, worth noting, Jack Ma stepped down as executive chair of Alibaba. I think it was in 2019. Josiah, though, remains executive vice chair of Alibaba. Uh, Bertha, thank you for bringing that to us. We'll see you a little bit later. And let's get straight to the markets and your money futures again. Muted at this hour, investors awaiting today's release of the June jobs report. And our next guest says consumers are in a strong position even as stimulus evolves and that Delta variant makes its way across the U.S. Joining me now, Ally Invest Chief Investment Strategist and CNBC contributor Lindsay Bell. Lindsay, great to see you again. Great to be back. Here's the thing. Uh, while the U.S. may not have seen a surge yet in Delta variant cases, there are countries like South Korea, Japan, Israel, right, looking at these different restrictions and lockdown, attempts to lock down if needed. Uh, how are you approaching this potential risk as an investor? Your thoughts there? Yeah, it's certainly a risk that we have to be aware of in the second half of the year, especially as we get into the fall, as more and more people are going to return to their offices People are going to be gathering much more inside at that point in time. So it's something that we we will keep on the in the back of our minds. But the reality is, is we're at over 50 percent um, vaccinated here in this country, at least with one dose. Um, and what we are hearing from uh, experts like Scott Gottlieb um, that come on your network all the time is that there will be portions of the country that will be more significantly impacted by this, but we're not expecting to see as big of an impact as we did last fall when we got the surge last year. So from an investing perspective, we're really keeping a focus on earnings. And that's what it's going to be all about over the next several months. Um, as we expect the, re the reopening to continue to accelerate, and I don't think that that's quite priced into a lot of the earnings numbers for many of the sectors and stocks out there right now. That's interesting. So you wouldn't use the stocks that worked last year as a guiding principle and say, you know, if this Delta variant is becoming a bigger risk over time here in the U.S., let's add exposure to some of those stay-at-home names, maybe pull back on the reopening trades that have actually had a pretty good run-up already this year, Lindsay. Yeah, um, that's certainly one way you, you can play it. But I, I do think that um, a lot of the reopening trades, trade names um, that, that have started to take a pause could see a little bit more life over the next couple months as these numbers come in better. The consumer is in a very strong position going into the second half of the year. We still have a very high savings rate at 12.4%. We've got $17 trillion in de cash deposits at banks right now. And we saw the, the consumer confidence number come out this week very strong. And within the details of that, you heard from consumers saying that they're still willing to spend on high-ticket items. And they're actually planning to do that, like automobiles, homes, appliances. They're even planning more vacations. So their intentions to spend are still high as we go into the second half of the year. So that's what keeps me optimistic mm. about what 
sales and earnings can look like in the second half of the year. And you talked about the stronger consumer spending that we are seeing in recent weeks. Uh, And now the question is this jobs report, whether that will be reflected um, in the unemployment rate. What are you expecting and how are you trading it in this jobs report? Yeah, um, this is going to be an important report because over the last couple months, what we have seen is moderation um, in jobs added, and and to that 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 is has been actually a positive for the market because the Fed is keenly focused on this jobs number um, as we move forward because it's really dictating monetary policy. And so if this number were to come in much hotter than what the expectations are, that could maybe um, make the market a little bit nervous, assuming that the Fed's going to move sooner rather than later. Um, if it comes in a little cooler than expected, it may be seen as a positive for the market. Um, so it's definitely a number that we definitely have to watch today. Uh, as, like I said, it's going to dictate monetary policy going forward. And as we know, the market is very antsy and nervous around when it comes to monetary policy because the Fed in the past, as they begin to start tightening and normalizing interest rates, um, it can ultimately lead to a peak in the market. However, I would note that that doesn't typically happen at the beginning of a rate tightening cycle. Yeah, speaking of rate tightening, IMF uh, saying the Fed will need to start hiking later uh, next year. An interesting call there. But um, we will be counting down to that jobs report. Thank you for your insight ahead of that report. Lindsay Bell. All right, when we come back on Worldwide Exchange, a wild day of first trade for Krispy Kreme after its return to the public equity markets, we will check in. Plus, July for travel in focus, but could the rising Delta variant make travelers think twice about their weekend getaway? And later, Bezos versus Branson. The one-man upmanship continues in the billionaire space race. A very busy hour ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. The UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Time now for your big money movers. Three stock stories moving at this hour. And we are going to start with Tesla. Model S played vehicle, plaid vehicle, caught fire on Tuesday while the owner was driving in a residential area outside of Philadelphia, according to the driver's lawyer. The incident allegedly happened just three days after the top of the range car was delivered. The attorney says the driver was initially trapped in the car because the electronic door system failed. Tesla has yet to comment. The news comes as Tesla is set to report second quarter delivery numbers as soon as today. It is expected to have sold more than 200,000 vehicles. Shares are flat and pre-market trade. 
Uh, let's turn to Krispy Kreme pulling back after the donut maker had a choppy return to Wall Street yesterday. The stock initially opened higher by 4 percent below the IPO price of $17 a share, lower, I should say. It then rebounded, closing up nearly 24 percent. What is it doing at this hour? It's down 3 percent in pre-market. And in technology, Apple and Intel are reportedly the first customers to use Taiwan Semiconductor's next generation chip technology. The Nikkei Asia says the companies are testing their chip designs with TSMC's three nanometer technology. Commercial production of those types of chips expected to begin in the latter half of next year. Still on deck, NBA, NFTs, socially responsible social media, and vaccine holiday freebies. Those are your top trending stories ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Today's big number, $1.9 billion. That was the total revenue for the U.S. consumer fireworks industry last year, according to the American Pyrotechnics Association. That nearly doubles 2019 sales and a new record. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product, services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. Let's get to today's top trending stories, which includes vaccine freebies, a crackdown on ads, and another sports crypto partnership. Bertha Coombs is here with that. Hi, Bertha. Hey, Seema. That's right. More companies are handing out some vaccine-related freebies this weekend. You can start with Breakfast at Panera, which will be giving out free bagels to any vaccinated customers starting today through Sunday. The freebie is based on the honor system, not requiring customers to show their vaccine card. Then for happy hour, That calls for free beer from Anheuser-Busch, which is starting the giveaway despite the U.S. not hitting its 70 percent goal. Today through Monday, adults can upload a picture of themselves with a beer to mycooler.com slash beer and get a digital $5 gift card. Meantime, Pinterest says it will no longer show weight loss ads on its site out of concern for users' challenges with body image and eating disorders. The company developed the policy with guidance from the National Eating Disorders Association. Pinterest is the first social media app to ban the ads completely. And the Portland Trail Blazers blazing a trail when it comes to the NBA's first cryptocurrency jersey sponsorship. The team's jersey will now sport the logo of crypto platform Storm X, which will also be creating the team's first NFT. So they're going to start to look like some of those European soccer players that have those logos sometimes. And the soccer players, they don't even have the team's name. It's just the logo. I love it. I'm really excited to see what they look like. Uh, Portland, of course, my hometown. So I'll be watching that team very closely. Bertha, thank you. Good to see you. (laughs) All right, let's turn to travel. This July 4th weekend, some 47 million Americans are expected to hit the road, according to AAA. As more travelers board flights and check into hotels... The Delta variant is making the rounds. Here's what Dr. Scott Gottlieb told Shepard Smith last night. 
Certain parts of the country are going to be more prone to surges and outbreaks than other parts of the country. In the Northeast or parts of um, you know, the Pacific Northwest, San Francisco, where vaccination rates are very high, they're not, they're not going to see the same level of spread. They're largely impervious to the kinds of outbreaks that we've seen in the past. But in parts of more rural uh, parts of the country, the South, where vaccination rates are still low, more rural counties in particular, you're going to see outbreaks and you're going to see more virus spread and you're going to see more consequences. For how this could impact travel and what you should know about traveling during this weekend, let's bring in U.S. Travel Association President and CEO Roger Dowd. Roger, it is great to see you. Good morning. Always a pleasure, Seema. Thank you. You just heard Dr. Scott Gottlieb there that we could start to see more outbreaks across the nation at a time when more Americans are expected to travel this weekend. Your thoughts on, on how this could shape up? I think people are going to travel uh, in a tremendous number uh, when you really look at it. Pre-Thanksgiving, the CDC came out and said, don't travel, please don't travel, and the travel numbers went up the next day. Uh, I think Americans are used to handling this. I think we have to watch the science and watch the numbers. Yes, we should be concerned about the Delta variant, but yet the numbers are small as far as hospitalizations. So I think people know how to handle this. The travel industry is ready, and they're ready to travel. I know travel executives like yourself, among others, like CEO of Marriott, Expedia, among others, have been pushing the Biden administration to lift international travel restrictions at a time when this Delta variant is starting to spread across the U.S. Is that wise? I think uh, the science says it is wise. We can handle this. Uh, again, the numbers are small, uh, uh, not to minimize it. But the bottom line is we've got to bring back international. Business travel international is 41% of our $1.7 trillion uh, travel budget. And if we don't get uh, travel back, it's $90 billion international travel will lose this year. To put it in perspective, just UK, EU, and Canada alone uh, will lose uh, $1.5 billion a week and 10,000 jobs. So we've got to bring it back. We can bring it back smartly. Let's watch the science. Let's listen to the health experts and be smart. But we've got to bring it back or our economy can never come back. From a timeline perspective, you are involved in all those discussions around, around travel with the Biden administration and some of the biggest companies here in the U.S. So it was expected that restrictions would ease in May. Here we are now in July. Uh, what are you expecting by the end of summer? Could we start to see international restrictions lift? We certainly hope so. Uh, we thought there would be an announcement at uh, the G7, and that's when the Delta variant uh, came up in the UK. Uh, so Boris uh, Johnson's delayed uh, opening up U UK till July 19th. Uh, what we're saying to the Biden administration is let's get a date specific. Nothing in life happens until you have a date, whether it's you're building a home, you're taking a vacation. Get a date specific and let's move towards that because it takes airlines a month to get all the planes back on. It takes people time to plan. So we need a date specific uh, and we've got to get that going or we're going to lose a whole summer season, which is when Europeans love to come to America. Yeah. Uh, talk, talk about travel to summer. This is the perfect time to go to Europe, uh, among other places. Uh, is, is there a way to pitch the Biden administration to not just lift international, lift international restrictions just for those who are vaccinated? Perhaps that's one way to get around this Delta variant, especially latest news now from J&J &J saying that, you know, small study conducted, uh, but that it does protect those against the against this new um, this new Delta variant. Yeah, as a travel industry, we're, we're very open to that as a first step. If they want to say vaccinated people, let's get international open. Uh, Seema, over the past uh, eight, six months, 200 million people have gotten on a plane in the U.S. and not one case has been traced to COVID. So uh, 
It's safe to travel. So let's open it with vaccine if we have to, and maybe PCR testing, and then let's go from there. But you've got to start somewhere. And I think the U.S. needs to lead. More companies are starting to offer incentives to get their employees, uh, even customers, vaccinated. Is there a role for travel companies here, too? I know some airports were setting up uh, these places in their in their airport where people can get vaccinated. Should should hotels do the same? Yes, uh, I think uh, many uh, all the airports uh, that I know of, you can get vaccinated. The large airports, uh, large hotels are doing that uh, with their employees. Uh, The and another here's another thing to watch. The number of people who travel, the vaccination rate is much higher than the average Americans. As you said earlier, as the doctor said, in the South, you have some problems in some of the rural areas, but these are not the international travelers. I would say the international travelers, it's probably well up over 80, 85 percent. So it's safe and uh, we've got to get it going soon. Have you heard of any states uh, considering new restrictions the way Israel is in South Korea? I've heard that uh, in California, uh, they're uh, going back to uh, mask recommendations. Again, uh, each state can do their own thing. And that's one of the problems. We have to make sure we don't have a patchwork of different rules in different places. Uh, The way to open up anything is to make sure we have consistency both in the U.S. and around the world. Yeah, it's it's a great point because that makes it a little bit harder too, just to plan travel as well when you don't really know if restrictions are going to change. But that's just the world we live in right now, I guess. Roger, really appreciate your insight today. Thank you for joining me. Roger Down. It was a pleasure, Seema. Thank you. Have a great day. Let's get a check on these morning stories at this hour. NBC's Philip Mena in New York with the latest. Good morning, Philip. Hi, Seema. Good morning. After nearly 20 years, the U.S. military has left Bagram Airfield, once the epicenter of the war, to oust the Taliban in Afghanistan. Two officials told the Associated Press that the airfield was handed over to the Afghan National Security and Defense Force. One official said the top U.S. commander in the country, quote, still retains all the capabilities and authorities to protect the forces. Still, it's a clear sign that the last of the U.S. troops in Afghanistan are nearing a departure months ahead of President Biden's September 11th deadline. The legal battle is just getting underway for former President Trump's company. New York prosecutors rolled out criminal charges yesterday against the Trump Organization and its financial chief, Alan Weiselberg. The 15 counts focus on an alleged tax scheme to help executives avoid paying taxes through perks like luxury cars, a rent-free apartment, and private school tuition. And Coco Goff cruised to a second-round victory at Wimbledon over Elena Vecina. And later this month, the 17-year-old will become the youngest Olympic tennis player since 2000 and the youngest American tennis Olympian since Jennifer Capriati won gold back in 1992. Seema, back to you. Love it. Love Coco. Uh, Wishing her the best of luck. Uh, Philip, thank you. All right. Straight ahead, details on what's likely to be one of the most talked about and controversial IPOs of the year. Our Leslie Picker is here with all the details on Robinhood. And if you haven't already, you got to follow our podcast. It is great. A lot of insight, worldwide exchange. Check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We will be right back. Forget Kirk versus Khan. It is Branson versus Bezos when it comes to taking on the final frontier. The search for stability continues as OPEC fails to reach consensus in its latest policy meeting, what it means for prices ahead. And the to-go booze ban debate continues as restaurants across New York State urge Albany to reinstate what became a financial lifeline for the struggling industry. It is Friday, July 2nd, 2021. You are watching Worldwide Exchange on CNBC. 
Welcome back. I'm Seema Modi in for Brian Sullivan. Here's how stock futures are looking halfway through the 5 a.m. hour on the East Coast. Stocks are slightly higher ahead of the, de- jo- the jobs report. The Nasdaq higher by 15 points, the Dow up by three, and the S&P 500 up just about two points. A check on Treasuries, where we are seeing bond yields move lower. The 10-year yielding, 1.45%. And a quick check on Europe as trading gets underway there. A mixed day of trade. Spain is lower by three-tenths of 1%. Germany is higher by two-tenths of 1%. Let's get to some of this morning's top stories. Bertha Coombs is back. Bertha, what you got? Hey, Seema, good morning again. Qualcomm's new CEO thinks by next year his company will have the chip laptop makers the world over are looking for to compete with Apple's new custom M1 chips introduced last year. The Apple design chips are smaller and more efficient and boast longer battery life than anything currently on the market from Intel or AMD. In an effort to compete, Qualcomm says it's hired a team of chip architects who formerly worked on the Apple M1 chipset. China's Didi Global will be added to the S&P Dow Jones Global Equity Indexes on July 12th, following its U.S. market debut earlier this week. Index publisher FTSE Russell said earlier this week that the Chinese ride-hailing company will be added to its Global Equity Indexes on July 8th. Didi shares jumped nearly 16 percent yesterday, one day after its debut, the biggest U.S. listing by a Chinese company since 2014. And shares of Richard Branson's Virgin Galactic are surging in the free market this morning after the company announced plans late yesterday that Branson himself plans to board the company's first manned flight into space on July 11th, weather permitting. So that launch would be nine days before Jeff Bezos had planned to take a Blue Origin rocket into space with his brother and an unnamed third passenger. In a statement, Blue Origin chief executive Bob Smith said, quote, we wish him a great and safe flight, but they're not flying above the Carmen line, and it's a very different experience. Carmen line is an imaginary boundary about 62 miles above sea level, considered the beginning of space, a boundary Bezos hopes to cross on his flight. On July 20th, the billionaire trash talk is so erudite, Seema. So good. The story has everything you want. Yes, the the war of words, the competition. I mean, just the race is on. And then look at how the stock is responding to this as well. Up another 27 percent in pre-market Virgin Galactic, the stock of the day. Bertha Coombs, thank you very much. Another thing to watch is oil inching lower today after ministers from OPEC and other major producers delayed a meeting over objections to a plan to add more supply to the oil market. WTI crude jumping more than 2 percent yesterday to its highest level since October of 2018. Saudi Arabia and Russia are backing a plan to add back 2 million barrels per day in the second half of the year. But that's being met with resistance from one country, the UAE. Let's get more insight from Amrita Sen, head of research at Energy Aspects. Amrita, it's good to see you this morning. Uh, We thought we'd get a deal. The the two major producers of oil, they agreed. Why is this one country not joining the course? 
Well, yeah, I think UAE has really been uh, the main stumbling block. Uh, main reason is uh, while Saudi Arabia and Russia and everybody really uh, uh, within OPEC Plus have agreed to the deal, which is 2 million barrels per day increase between August and December, which is about 400,000 barrels per day each month. Uh, part of the deal also is to extend the end of the deal, which is currently uh, March 2022 to December 2022. And I think that is where the biggest issue is for UAE. The UAE is refusing to do so. Uh, and it, they are effectively saying that were they to consent to it, they're demanding a higher baseline, a higher quota, because they feel shortchanged uh, about what they were given at the start of the deal. Uh, underlying all of this is uh, UAE's, uh, well, they, they have been putting in a lot more money, a lot more capex into growing production. They've also launched the Morban Futures contract. Uh, so there is a bigger push uh, from the UAE to raise production uh, versus the others who are much more, you know, focused on the stability of the market. For a lot of Americans, this is the, you know, this is the weekend to go travel, right? July 4th weekend is upon us uh, with no deal being reached at the OPEC level. What does that mean for gas prices, which uh, are above $3 right now? I think this is the most critical question that you've asked, because usually, if you think about it, uh, OPEC meetings are about cutting production, right? When something's going wrong in the market and prices need to be shored up. This is actually a meeting about raising production. So if there is no agreement to raise production, there is already a deal in place through to April 2022, which basically means production in August will be unchanged versus July. And to your point, demand is rising very, very sharply. So actually, a no deal situation is extremely bullish for oil prices. And you would expect gasoline prices to go up. I think the market's a little bit confused about what is going on. A lot of people are fearing a no deal means a return to, you know, April 2020 when they had all surge production. But that's not the case at all. There is already a deal in place. It's just you fall back to that seems like every quarter there is this infighting with OPEC leaders, right? It's never just a, a simple meeting where they come to a consensus and then deliver it to the market and you see a nice response. Given what we're seeing right now play out between these different companies, uh, what does it mean for the big oil giants that have seen their stock prices boom this year because of uh, the resurgence in, in oil? In the short term, if there is no deal, prices will go up. And, you know, that just means even higher or share prices and just generally more reward for these uh, companies. But at the end of the day, this does need to be resolved. Um, otherwise, you will have a lot more OPEC plus oil um, on paper, at least is 5.8 million barrels per day. We think it's closer to three because a lot of countries have lost productive capacity coming back to the market all at once in April 2022. Plus, you've got the uncertainties with Iran. So clearly, there could suddenly be a lot of softness in the market later on in the year or even earlier next year, which OPEC Plus will want to avoid. So there will be a lot more volatility around the share prices of these um, IOCs as well. Oil lower right now. Uh, Amartha, Amartha Sen, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Now to one of the most anticipated IPOs of the year, Robinhood, the company revealing details on its finances and plans to go public in an S-1 filing with the SEC. Leslie Picker has been combing through the information and joins us now with what we need to know, Leslie. Hey, Seema, that's right. Robinhood disclosed its long-awaited prospectus yesterday. In it, there was nothing short of eye-popping growth. The retail brokerage said it added 5.5 million funded accounts in the first three months of the year alone. That's more than the entirety of all the accounts added 
uh, at the end of 2019, for that whole year. Uh, the company also quadrupled its top line during the first quarter, generating more than half a billion dollars. However, Robinhood reported a $1.4 billion loss, but that was thanks in very large part, almost its entirety, to a discount that it gave investors during emergency fundraising during the GameStop mania. Now, earlier this week, Robinhood agreed to pay a $70 million fine with FINRA due to outages in March of 2020 in misleading communication uh, with customers and investors. Now, in the prospectus, it's the risk factors that were top of mind for several investors I spoke with. Robinhood says it may not continue to grow at historical rates. That's a concern highlighted by this idea that many in the country are returning to offices, less time to day trade. Uh, additionally, the bulk of its revenue is transaction-based, stemming from this thing called payment for order flow. That's money that Robinhood receives for routing customer orders to certain market makers for execution. Now, PFOF, PFOF, as it's often known, is under scrutiny by regulators. Robinhood also notes its need for liquidity to maintain custody requirements. Many of these risks and others are not hypothetical, FEMA, but actually came to light during the GameStop saga. Uh, but nonetheless, Robinhood will set a price range for its shares no sooner than about two weeks from now with a debut to follow that. The shares will ultimately be listed probably in, in a month or uh, sometime later this summer uh, under on the NASDAQ under the symbol H-O-O-D. And Leslie, Robinhood's IPO really puts the spotlight on gamification of investing. And this is obviously an IPO that is not without controversy. Apparently, the feds are looking into the phone records of its CEO, uh, Vlad. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, so this is this is interesting. Um, the timing of its whole IPO is very interesting because it's clear that they're trying to really tie up some, uh, I don't want to call them loose ends, but legal issues. Of course, we saw the FINRA fine, the $70 million FINRA fine um, announced the day before they filed their prospectus. Um, they did reveal in their IPO filing that the CEO, Vlad Penev's phone was seized by federal authorities uh, as part of its investigation um, into the whole GameStop saga situation. So this is a company that no doubt has a lot of regulatory hair. Uh, They have a lot of regulators looking into this company. It has a lot of legal hair. They also, there were reports this morning that they settled uh, a lawsuit with uh, the 20-year-old who um, wound up committing suicide after uh, realizing that he had some losses in his portfolio. Um, so there are a lot of things that this company um, is trying to, um, you know, rid of uncertainty for the market. Um, so settlements are one thing with FINRA uh, and that uh, family. And then, of course, there are still some outstanding issues, such as regulatory, that investors will have to grapple with. Yeah, it's a great point. It's been such an active year, if you can call it that, uh, for Robinhood. But despite that, not stopping the company from pursuing its plans to go public. Leslie Picker, thank you for giving us the latest on that company, Robinhood. Coming up, uh, a booze to go became, became a pandemic lifeline for the struggling dining industry. But their program abruptly ended in New York. So bars and restaurant owners are now fighting for the right to take out that debate when we come back. In a blow to an industry hampered by the pandemic and labor shortages, New York announced it was ending to-go alcohol sales for restaurants in the state with only 24 hours notice. The last-minute announcement made last week left some restaurants and bars scrambling to change a business model that for some had provided a crucial financial lifeline through the past year. 
For more, let's bring in Sinjin Frizzell, owner of Fort Defiance and Gage and & Tolner in Brooklyn. And it's good to have you on. Uh, how big of a lifeline were these to-go cocktails for bars and restaurants in New York? Well, it was huge. Uh, for us, it was about uh, 30% of our sales uh, during the uh, pandemic. And so, like anyone else that sees that kind of return, we invested in it. We bought you know, empty bottles. We bought bottling operations, canning operations. We paid for labels to be printed. And we, we put all of our uh, time and energy into it. It paid off until last week when it suddenly <clears throat> stopped. You know, what is your message then to uh, to New York, to city and state officials? Should to-go cocktails be phased out over time, just not abruptly the way they're doing it this time around? Well, they could follow the lead of Florida, Georgia, Texas, who have made it legal permanently. They could follow the lead of um, Ohio or, uh, I'm sorry, Illinois that or Washington State that's made it legal for a period of time. There are many other ways to do this, but I think that we need to reinstate it uh, as soon as possible and then debate the issue uh, for a period of time and come to a conclusion. Yeah, it's I think it's a... too, too quick. No, I hear you. There's about a dozen states that have actually made to-go cocktails permanent, so not just a temporary fix uh, for bars. Interesting that it's not happening here in New York. Taking a step back, though, Sinjin, how would you say uh, demand and business is right now in a state like New York where vaccinations are increasing and restrictions are easing as well? Yeah, demand is really high uh, for restaurants. I mean, people are dying to go out again. Um, the restaurant industry is still, though, it's still hampered by the long-term debt that we took on to get through the pandemic. So I would not say that the industry is whole again, really very far from it. And we really still need a little bit of help from the uh, government to, to make things right. I hear you there. To get back to pre-pandemic levels, what's your timeline? Do you think by end of this year or sometime next year? Well, again, I think we could be back up to pre-pandemic levels of business by mid-fall. But again, you, then you have to deal with that long-term uh, debt on your books. And for for an industry that you know struggles to show even like a 10% margin, it takes a long time to pay that stuff off. Yeah. And of course, this is an industry similar to the hotels, which I cover, that are really getting hit by this labor shortage. And I, you know, many people are experiencing it when they go out to eat a little bit longer time to get your table, to get, you know, customer service. How is it impacting your restaurants? Well, that is for sure. I mean, we probably, uh, my uh, restaurant, uh, Gage and Tolner, opened on April 15th. And uh, we would probably be serving lunch now if we had the staff to to man those uh, shifts. Um, I know of other restaurants that have actually cut back uh, services that were serving brunch, but now don't because they can't find uh, the people to, you know, fill the positions. Yeah, uh, no, it's, it's an important reminder and uh, an industry, of course, that's being hit hard by this labor shortage. Then, Jen, thank you for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Best Thanks, of luck. Thanks, Coming up, stocks trading at record highs. Today's test for the market will be the June employment report. We'll get ready for it with RBC's chief U.S. economist, Tom Percelli. And if you haven't already, follow our podcast. If you miss Worldwide Exchange, check us out on Apple, Spotify, or other podcast apps. We'll be right back. 
Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. A few stocks on the move this morning. Raytheon Technologies winning a $2 billion Air Force contract to produce a nuclear-armed cruise missile. Design and manufacturing of the missile is expected to be completed in February of 2027. Verizon telling regulators it will continue to support low-cost wireless service if it is allowed to complete its $6.9 billion deal to buy prepaid mobile phone provider uh, TrackPhone. And Apollo Global, the private equity firm, is buying a stake of up to 24.9% in financial technology investor Motive Partners. The Wall Street Journal reports the transaction values Motive at about $1 billion. All right, top of mind today on the economic front, the June jobs report. Economists calling for 706,000 jobs to have been added in the past month, with the unemployment rate falling to 5.6%. Joining me now is RBC Chief U.S. Economist Tom Priscelli. Tom, great to see you this morning. Hi, good to be with you. Listen, I will be watching that wage growth number because I think the topic of discussion around inflation, this is the number to watch, right, to get a better sense of whether inflation is, in fact, transitory. Your thoughts there? Yeah, I mean, look, I think that there's a lot going on with the transitory conversation beyond even just wage pressures. I mean, as it relates to this payroll report, yeah, you know, look, we, we think that uh, the wage dynamic will continue to move in a favorable way. Uh, you know, we know that there's obviously a, uh, um, you know, companies are struggling to bring people on. And as a result, they're paying up for uh, uh, for people to 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 come on. So, yeah, we do. We expect wage pressures will, will, will build. And, 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 and look, we're not looking for, a, you know, a particularly robust jobs gain today. I mean, I think we all get that the, the economic backdrop is is, is incredibly strong. Um, but we think that there's a host of technical issues that are, you know, really stopping the um, the, the labor backdrop from uh, uh, sort of showing up in a in a strong way, at least in this report. So we we do expect a, a sort of a modest gain overall um, uh, uh, for 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 jobs. But I, I would say, as it relates to the transitory inflationary idea, I mean, look, we we've been saying this for We think prices will be much stickier than is appreciated. Um, and, you know, you could certainly be willing to 22 and still have a, you know, three handle on inflation at some point. I mean, it's funny. We've said this many times. We're sympathetic to the idea of transitory, but transitory defined as, as, as we would define it, which is to say, you know, you're looking at at least one to two years of, of sticky prices and, and not a sort of a, a shorter window, which it seems the, the Fed is looking for. Yeah. And, you know, we look at payroll gains. You mentioned this uh, expected to accelerate in June to the fastest pace in three months. That's really being led by the hospitality sector. Does that continue? Tom? Oh, I think did you I don't know if you uh, heard my last question yeah, right there. You're sort of break- hospitality sector, leading payroll gains. Yeah, Do you think you're sort that- of breaking up there. I'm, I'm going I'm to. Can you hear me, Tom? Uh, yeah, sort of. Um, so I'll, I'll repeat, uh, I'll repeat gonna, my question. I'm guess what you said. The hospitality I, I think, sector leading payroll gains, yeah. and I'm wondering if you think that will be reflected yes. in today's jobs report. Yeah, there, there, there you go. Be- better connection. Um, <laughs> the uh, yeah, look, uh, we we don't we we don't think you're necessarily going to see some big surge in uh, in the leisure and hospitality space. It is the area that uh, has the biggest shortfall. Um, in jobs relative to the February 2020 level, it's it's actually short about two and a half million jobs. It's by far the the, the biggest um, subcomponent uh, of the jobs categories that that, that are uh, that that's sort of lacking uh, um, r- real job uh, significant job growth. Look, I think one of the challenges there is you know that's really one of the sectors uh, where the the generous unemployment insurance 
um, uh, is, uh, I think, uh, you know, probably having an, an impact, um, uh, you know, relative to the weekly average wage of about 400 bucks uh, a week in that in that sector. Um, people that are collecting uh, unemployment insurance for that sector are making about 25 percent more. That's the but I would stress that's the only category where you're you're sort of where, where there's this very big outsized um, uh, gain relative to what you would uh, normally see uh, from a weekly average gain, uh, uh, a weekly average wage rate. So, uh, you know, I know a lot of people are making a, a very big deal about generous unemployment and, and that having a, a really big uh, impact on, on the overall jobs sector. We we we. believe that's true. We think it's really mostly just in leisure and hospitality. If the unemployment rate does tick down and inflation is on the rise, uh, you know, IMF says the Fed will need to start hiking late next year. Is that your consensus as well? Yeah, you're, sorry, uh, uh, you, you broke up there again a little bit. Um, so, you know, do, do I think that do I think that once unemployment insurance, the generous UI goes away, do I think that that'll have an impact? I think that's what you said. Yeah, yeah. Um, again, I'm guessing here a little bit of a bad connection. Um, I, 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 I do. I think it'll have some impact. Uh, you know, we know that generous UI goes away in September. Uh, and so, sure, I think in that in that sector, again, specific to leisure and hospitality, sure, I think that you could see some benefit, uh, uh, some some increase in jobs. But again, I would stress it's not just that. Um, I, I think that there's that there's a lot more going on, but certainly I think that that's um, creating something of a challenge for, for that uh, sector in particular. All right, Tom, we'll leave the conversation there. Appreciate it, Tom Porcelli. Counting down to the jobs report. All right, one more check on shares of Virgin Galactic. Check out this move that we are seeing pre-market here up 27% as Richard Branson looks to beat Jeff Bezos into space with a flight on July 11th, nine days before Bezos is due to take his own flight into space. That, of course, exciting the market, which shares up huge here in pre-market. That does it for us on Worldwide Exchange. Thank you for joining me. I'm Seema Modi. Squawk Box is next. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern only on CNBC. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx.